Hey, welcome back to Earth Like Heaven. My name is Doug Ressler, and joining me as always is my good friend, Robbie Sherry. And we are here to help you close that gap uh, between heaven and earth in your life by learning to live like Jesus. Robbie, last time we talked a little bit more about the good life and what happens when we don't achieve the good life, and especially what happens when bad things sort of... um, invade um, unexpectedly. Things that happen beyond our control take place. Um, could be a, a, a medical diagnosis. It could be the loss of someone we love. It could be a natural disaster or something like that. Depending on what part of your world you live in, it could be things like famine um, or even in our part of the world, right? Like you think about the massive drought that is has been impacting the United States or the western part of the United States for decades now and is really actually causing all kinds of problems, especially on the most vulnerable. What happens when those things happen? Um, there's a term that people use, and that is theodicy. And basically, the, the, the theodicy issue is this. In the face of our experience of what we would call evil, whether mm-hmm. that's natural evil, like natural disasters, drought, famine, plague, tornadoes, hurricanes, those kinds of things, or in the face of uh, evils like cancer, disease, in the face of the evils of death, uh, suffering, violence, war, all of those kinds of things, what what ends up happening is it calls on some level God's goodness and God's power into question. Um, so as Christians, we believe that God is all good and we believe that God is all powerful. But when we experience evil in this world, it's it's hard for us to get our heads around how can a good and all good and all powerful God allow such things? Either he is all good, but not all powerful. Mm -hmm. He's sort of helpless in the face of some of these things, or he is all powerful, but not all good. I mean, that's, those are the things I think that people really wrestle with. False dichotomy. Right. And, and so as Christians, and we're talking about the good life and when we have achieved some measure of the good life and all of a sudden we find that good life threatened by some of these natural evils or some of these things that are outside of our control, that's when most people begin to really cry out to God and say, why? Why are you allowing this to happen to me? Why did you allow this person that I love to die? Why is there so much violence and suffering and pain in the world? Why, God? Why, 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 why? How'd you answer that? Well, I think we've talked a little bit about this, that there's there's two questions sort of behind it. Is mm-hmm. One is, why do bad things happen to so-called good people? Right. And the inverse, why do good things happen to bad people? Seem to, seem to happen <laughs> right. to People that aren't so good, which that are bad. Which a lot of people don't really ask that second question, right? That that one doesn't really hit our radar screens as much as what happens when bad things happen. To right. People, that second right? one is more of a comparative, mm-hmm. woe is me, right. Uh, right. in a season of, of drought, I suppose. Yeah, the big thing mm-hmm. is we come up against these things that, that are bad, and we look in the mirror and go, I'm a good person. Mm-hmm. And we enter into those two thoughts. Either, either God is not good, mm-hmm. uh, or God is not powerful enough to prevent this bad. Mm-hmm. And... So I go back to one of the things that we've been talking about is define good yeah, for me. If right. if you say, why do bad things happen to good people? Let's mm-hmm. start by defining good. Mm-hmm. What what scale are you using to measure life against that, that makes you conclude that you are a good person? And it's it's a difficult thing because when people are asking that question, typically they're in a they're in a bad moment of life. Right, right, right. And so you don't want to go you know, drop these theological terms on no, them no, and all right. that. We that's don't want to be Job's friends. Exactly. Right? Not, you don't want to be the, the person time. that goes, but, really. that, but, but that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about it from a more philosophical direction. So we're not right. encouraging people to go out and like, right. hey, share this theological <laughs> yeah, exactly. knowledge with your, exactly. with your friends who are in the midst of yeah. heartbreak. No, sit with them in the ashes of their experience and, and listen to them and love them and grieve with them and weep with them. That's how we respond in the moment. Yeah. But it does beg the question still. And, and I do think that Whereas in the moment, people, I think, they don't 
they don't they may be asking why they don't that's not really the heart question that they're asking what the heart question they're asking i think there is where where is god right now mm-hmm. in this moment is he here with me um after you kind of get beyond that moment though it that that question of why why did god allow that to happen is a persistent one mm-hmm. and so when the timing is right it is good to circle back and say yeah like let's talk about that and so again that right. again it begs all these questions like how do we define good because because at the baseline sort of the baseline attitude underneath or the baseline philosophy that informs the question, why do bad things happen to good people, is this sense that they shouldn't. They should not happen. They shouldn't. There's something wrong with that equation. Bad things should not happen to good people, which means that on some level we think that good people only deserve good things. It's underlying karma. Correct. I mean, that's that, most a, people's yeah. baseline philosophy is karma. Is karma, and that is not a Christian conception no. of things, right? So the Christian conception, Robbie, from a Christian perspective, what, how do we define good? God. God. I mean, yeah. in its simplest right. form, uh-huh. is God is good. Uh-huh. And where I've had to wrestle with this is perspective. I think no child wants to be yelled at. No child wants Mm -hmm. his or her father to raise his voice. Um, But I I have what I call my dad voice. Mm -hmm. And the dad voice only comes out because I love my my children. Mm -hmm. And when I need to prevent something Mm -hmm. from happening that I can see that they cannot Mm -hmm. in the moment, from their perspective, that's cruel, that's unusual, that seems like an undeserved punishment. Right. From the perspective of the loving father, mm. it's absolutely loving and good. Mm. And so when I look on the landscape of my life and I determine that, man, this is a, a bad thing, my immediate reaction is, why, God? Why is, mm. you know, why is this? I mean, the, the flesh side of me wants to go, are you kidding me right now? Mm-hmm. Um, but being, being a parent, I think, has helped in that and that I can see okay, I, I'm not the one that, that authored life. I don't, I don't get to claim that. And I think that there are things that I have to just come to reconcile. And that's, we do live in a world where we, so, so going back to the theodicy thing, you have to decide if God created evil. Mm. Because if you start at that point, then you've got this kind of dualistic idea that goodness and evil or God and Satan are sort of battling it out and nobody's, you know, people are unsure of who's going to win. But if you start at the point that God is good Mm -hmm. and because of God's goodness and the choice that he gives in love that we choose not good, we choose evil and that evil isn't something that God created to oppose good, but that it's our choice against his good and that like you said, there's different kinds of things. There's these natural disasters that you're not going to point to your neighbor and say, you caused this. Mm-hmm. But there are very much things that are manifested as evil that are human on human cause. Yeah, and, it, and in fact, you might even argue that even some of the natural disasters that we see no, happening that's now true. around that, that that's are true. on some level human influenced or man-made sure. on some level, those kinds of things. I mean, so yeah, you start with the principle that God is good, and then I think Biblically speaking, you move to the principle that God made us in His image, so we were made good. We were made good. Right? But part of what it means to be made in God's image is that that goodness has to be chosen. It's, it, we, it can't be... It can't be forced. It can't be forced. If it's forced, it's not it's, good. It, correct. Right? So that's not how God defines good, right? No. God, God, is the, God, is, God is good in all of His freedom. Mm-hmm. And so he, he then 
creates a creature named a human being that he calls a human being who also is given incredible freedom and is made good, at least initially. Very good. Right, very good. Right. Right. In fact, yeah, the Bible yeah. says very good. It's the only thing that God says is right. very good. And so we are made very good. And um, But again, part of that is that we have to choose that good. And so sometimes what I tell people is that, you know, we have this, again, misconception, this idea that evil has a life of its own, an existence of its own. Actually, that is not true. It's it's evil. Evil is really just the negation of good. Right. It's what happens That's when important we to choose something that's not good. Mm-hmm. So the f- human beings, Adam and Eve, they make a decision to disobey God, to choose something that is not good. Mm-hmm. And as a result, evil infiltrates the world, evil corrupts the world, evil wrecks the world on so many different levels, creation itself and you know human beings and the animal kingdom and you know at every level evil enters the world it corrupts the world death now enters the world all of these bad things mm-hmm. and i think fundamentally what what human beings when we talk about theodicy this is where i always go back to we have to fundamentally come to grips with the fact that we created this world right in which we live we created this world in which there is pain there is suffering there is violence there is war there is natural disasters there is there is all these things that we call bad, and all of that is a result of the fact that we not only decided at the dawn of time to sort of set this whole thing in motion, but through the choices we make every single day, we keep this world and all of its brokenness in motion. Yes. We contribute to the brokenness of the world. We contribute to the brokenness of relationships and society and all of those kinds of things and the things that we do and the things that we don't do. Right. right. I mean, so there's so many layers there, to, there this, are, right? say this. to this question, right? And so when people ask the question, like, again, why did bad, you know, my, my, my spouse gets cancer? And um, Doug, how, how can you say that that's man-made? I'm not claiming that cancer is man-made. I'm claiming that because of a decision that human beings made when they were first given dominion and stewardship over all that God has made, they decided... To be their own gods. Well, yeah, we decided and as a result, not God, not good. Right, and we were because we chose something that wasn't good. That not goodness or evil, what we call evil, entered the world, infiltrated the world, and now manifests itself in all kinds, all of kinds of ways. Things. Right. Well, that's. I mean, we were laughing off mic before this, but I I'm teaching Lord of the Flies right mm-hmm. now, which. William Golding in 1954 explores this idea that so many of us have because we think, well, why should I, why should I be downstream from Adam and Eve? Right. Why should I be? Or if you don't believe in the Bible, mm-hmm. you know, you have to come up with an explanation Correct. for this. That's right. And That's right. William Golding goes, okay, let's, let's conduct a little experiment. Let's start with Eden again. We'll mm-hmm. call it an island. And let's drop kids on this island who are all under the age of 12, which most people would call the age of innocence. Right. And let's see how things go for them. Right. And... What his whole, what he's trying for us to to get to as a reader is, we use terms like, well, that's just human nature. Mm -hmm. And so he wants us to go, well, what is human nature? Right, right. And if you start, if you start at the point of saying, well, we're, we're born good, we are good people, and sometimes we occasionally do these not good things, well, then the way to success in life or to have a good life is to do as few bad things mm-hmm. as possible. Right. But the problem with that is 
badness still exists and it, it's still, mm-hmm. these not good things still happen. And so we don't says, exist independent, independent of one another. Of it. Correct. Right. Yeah. So then he talks about this whole beastie on the island and mm-hmm. this kid says, maybe it's inside of us. Maybe mm-hmm. it's within us. Mm-hmm. And everybody mocks the kid that presents this idea, Simon. Right. And what I think Golding's suggesting is if we look to the source of not goodness, which would be ourselves, Mm-hmm. then rather than ask the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Mm-hmm. We would then sit in awe and wonder and say, how is it possible that for me as a bad person gets to experience anything good? That's right. And I, and I think that's, that's, it is fundamentally that worldview shift. Yeah. Right. You know, especially here in the Western world, we have this conception that every child is born innocent. Right. And then sort of learns, learns. <laughs> how to sin over time. But everything that we know about little babies betrays that. Betrays that idea. Totally <laughs> mitigates against that. They're like literally the most selfish creatures right. on the face of the earth. They care about no one other than themselves. Now, I, that's not necessarily like bad in terms of like a conscious, like they're being mean. Or, yeah. uh, but, but it is this sense of like... They're literally born into this condition. And that's what the Bible says. The Bible says we are born into sin. We are conceived in iniquity. We are born into sin. And what it's talking about is we are born into this condition where we are naturally self-absorbed and life revolves around us. And then how many two-year-olds, when their mom is pregnant again, right, and all of a sudden they're no longer the center of the universe, right. go absolutely nuts. It's just innate. It's it's inborn within us. And so in that sense, we are not born good we're not born altruistic we're not born thinking of others right. we're not born in the, that has to be actually taught and when you really sit down and think about this i talk about my atheist friends about this all the time like there's not much i think in theology that is empirically provable i see yep you know what i'm saying like you can't i can't like set out and, can't quantify. and prove the existence of god right I can't, that, that God is not subject to mathematics or something like that where i can mm-hmm. say 2 plus 2 equals 4 see there's god so it got, proving God's existence is not possible. You can prove the possibility, I think, of God's existence, uh-huh. which is a di- little bit of a different question. The probability, the probability, all that you can, all yeah, that, yeah, yeah. But it, talking about like theology, empirical, empirically provable theology, I think uh, original sin, the sinfulness of humanity, the innate sinfulness of humanity, is empirically provable. All you have to do is look at the human, at the record of human history, right. There's or, have, like, or have a child. Or have a child. <laughs> One of the might two. be the simpler One might be a shortcut to the experiment. other. That's exactly right. But you, if you didn't have a child, you could just look at history. I mean, there are some historians out there that would argue that in the history of the human race, we've had four years of peace. Interesting. In the thousands of years that human beings have run around, there's been conflict between human beings somewhere on the globe raging, and there's only been four years of peace. Now, again, I don't know how they measure that or, yeah. or how they quantify what that per year? se. But, but, but they're, they're probably, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that they're, I mean, They've I didn't look at it in depth. Sort of, yeah, they some sort of rubric that, or measurement that they're filtering that through, right? But even, even within that, if you're not talking about like open warfare between nations or tribes or whatever it might be, we all know that like, even my own experience, like I, I try as best I can to live with live at peace with most people, and there are still people in my life that I am in conflict with, still people sure. in my life that I am at war with, and some of it's my fault and some of it's their fault, and it's, it just, probably both of your fault. It, it's probably both of yeah. us, right? On some level, but the point being that that's just innate. Mm-hmm. We are conflicted creatures. We are 
evil creatures in, in the sense of we, evil not in the sense of like we're all a bunch of De- Jeffrey Dahmers or Adolf Hitlers or something like that, but we're evil in the sense that how the Bible defines evil, which means we are self-absorbed. We typically think of ourselves first. We typically put ourselves first. That's what we're talking about here. And so, yeah, it's a wonder at all that such a self-absorbed creature could ever experience anything good. And if you start from that perspective, then I think, again, a whole new world opens up to you when it comes to this whole theodicy question. Right. Yeah. And then I think it's not to deny the fact that there are bad days. Right. And it's not to deny the fact that illness and suffering and loss of life are are terrible things. Mm-hmm. Those are those in the moment I think are the times when, when people ask the question why uh, I think I think that's when we're called to mourn with those who mourn. Yes. Honestly, and that's not the time to say, well, let me explain to you on a theological level right, right. why you're crying right now. I think right. it's the time to just go, yeah. And there's the idea of empathy mm-hmm. of of just crying with those people who are having the hard time or having the the wandering child whatever it is that's that's the right reaction in the moment but yeah. like you said after the person has a time to process and think and they they just genuinely want to know like if if god's so good mm-hmm. why why this thing after they sort of ride the emotional roller coaster of it all they they get to a place of going you talk about God all the time. You talk mm-hmm. about his goodness. You talk about his faithfulness. Well, I I don't want that God if he's making an allowance for this or causing this or something. Mm-hmm. And I think that's when sort of just gently you introduce this idea of, of what's your starting point. And then to also say, well, here's, here's the deal. Implied in your question is that, uh, I think I mentioned Ecclesiastes 3.11 in the last, mm-hmm. in the last podcast of this, this idea that God's placed eternity in right. all of our hearts. So we we have this sense that there's a brokenness in the world. We have this right. sense that that suffering is is wrong. We, nobody wants it. And, and it doesn't matter where you're from. Nobody wants pain, sorrow, grief, loss, any of that. We we think we deserve perfection. And so it's an interesting question to explore. Like, why, why do you think you deserve that? And then... If you observe, if you've lived for any length of time with a conscious awareness, you realize, okay, that we don't live in perfection, okay? So what do you do about it? Is your resolve then that there is no God? Is your resolve then that, uh, you know, just there's this weird thing out there that's bad and it, it randomly pokes people and says, you've got this because I look at my friend and he doesn't have this bad thing happening. So it, it's just this random thing is it you know this karma philosophy and to get them to the point of going well i think i'm a good person because like the like the prisoner i don't want to actually admit that the badness is inside me uh you know in prison the the thieves don't think they're as bad as the murderers who don't think they're as bad as the rapists right who don't think they're as bad as uh the child molester. I mean, just go down the line. Everybody's good relative to the person next to them. Right. And so if you take away that, that relative goodness and you go, what if you get to this point of saying, man, it, it is amazing that I'm even breathing mm. right now. I'm a, I'm a walking, I don't deserve any of this mm-hmm. to get to that point. Then I think allows a little bit for us to hear this whisper of Jesus's promise and his promises. 
not that he's come to take us out of the world. Right. And not that he's here to shield us from all of the the wickedness that, that we've inherited in the world, but rather to walk through it with us. I mean, if that's Jesus's last words are, you know, and lo, I, I will be with you always. Right. That's, that's it. He doesn't promise wealth. He doesn't promise health. He doesn't promise an avoidance of bad things. He promises, you know what? I'm, I'm right there with you. Yeah. And that I think is a greater comfort and joy and blessing than we could possibly explain to somebody who hasn't experienced it. Well, and that is the uniqueness of really the Christian faith, is this promise of a God who embraces us in the midst of the evil. Right. Who's there with us, actually experienced it alongside us, who actually experienced it himself, who tasted the fullness of it. Didn't just sort of like, you know, get a little bit of a taste of it, like tasted the fullness of it by yeah. dying on a cross in the most hor- horrific way imaginable. Like that's the, the really the heart of the Christian faith. When, the, when we talk about like, like how can a good and all-powerful God allow evil to exist? Or maybe even better, what is a good and all-powerful God doing about all the evil in the mm. world? Well, the Christian has one answer. Right. And then all the other religions, even atheism, has a different answer. Which is basically try harder. Well, and you have to fundamentally <laughs> ask yourself, which do you find more persuasive? Which do you find more comforting? Which do you find more, more, more uh, winsome? Which do you find more compelling? Is it the idea of a God, who, an all-powerful and all-good God, who is so committed to us that even in the midst of the most horrific suffering imaginable, will be there to experience it alongside us? And ultimately redeem us from it with the promise that he will redeem us from it at the end of time. Like that's his promise, right? Mm-hmm. And every wrong will be made right and every hurt will be healed and all of those things. Like that's his promise and none of it depends on us. None of it depends on us working hard or being good or achieving a certain level or any of those kinds of things. It's purely because this all good and all powerful God has declared that this is what he will do for the world in, him, in, in his son, Jesus Christ. You either believe that Mm-hmm. That takes you down one road. Or you believe one of a myriad of other options that all sort of boils down to, you know, on some level, the same fundamental, you know, philosophy, right? I mean, if you're an atheist, right, and you say, you know, my atheist friends say, why, why do bad things happen to good people? I say, why are you even asking the question? Because by your fundamental definition, everything is random. Right. There is nothing good or evil. Those are illusory, illusory categories mm-hmm. that are meaningless, culturally bound, right? right? And so you might find it horrific that women in the Middle East in over 100 degree heat wear full burqas, right? <laughs> right? But who are you to say that that's right or wrong? Right. Why do you get to say that that's right or wrong? You don't get to say that that's right or wrong. You have nothing to say about that because... Ultimately, everybody gets to decide for themselves. It's all random chance. There is no good. There is no evil. These are just random events that take place that happen to us along the way, right? You have no fundamental categories of good or evil. I mean, they'll try and tease them out like, well, what, what is communally good? But again, when you really boil it down, it, it's, it's hard for them to articulate what is good and what is evil because there really isn't an objective transcultural standard, right, that they can offer. Well, then you go to other religions, and you go to Hinduism, and you go to Buddhism, and you go to Islam, and you go to you go all these major, major religious faiths in the world today, 
and even even the spiritual but not religious faith, right? right. Which which is sort of a, a rising one in America. It doesn't really have a creed per se, but it's a it's a rising group of people that are spiritual but not religious. They're not atheists. They just they believe in spiritual things. They believe in the conception of a God, but but fundamentally they don't really have a creed. They don't want to be tied down to a mm-hmm. local church or anything like that, right? Or a faith community of some kind. And all of those basically are riffs off the same thing, which is, you know what? You be as good as you can be, and maybe God will honor you for that attempt and let you live with him for eternity. Maybe. Maybe. Right. So I was talking to a Hindu friend of mine. Yeah. All right. And he is a nominal Hindu, came over here um, from India several years ago to work in the tech industry, works up in the you know, Denver Tech Center. Nominal Hindu, I think he actually would call himself sort of a functional atheist on some level, right? right? You know, and and so we were talking about this notion of like what is good and you know and those kinds of things and the good life and all of those kinds of things, you know, everything. And um, and I was talking about how as a Christian, like I define goodness, and he was talking about how he defines goodness. And um, one of the one of the things that we teased out was I asked him what he thought about universal human rights, because fundamentally. <laughs> Right. right, undergirding this notion of of universal human rights is this understanding, shared understanding that every human being has value, dignity, and worth. That on some level, every human being is good or is worthy of, of rights. Yeah. Right. And then we have to agree on what those rights are. Correct. <laughs> and so, and I was like, so where do you get that? As a like a guy who grew up Hindu as an atheist, and he was like, well, what do you mean? I was like, well, I mean, I know where I get it. Like, I believe that every human being is made in the image of God. Therefore, right. yeah, right? there you go you know, worthy of these rights, right? Yeah. Sort of endowed by their creator with some inalienable rights, kind of that language, right? I was like, but I'd love to know where you get that. As someone who is a sort of, you call yourself a functional atheist, you call yourself a nominal Hindu, because Hindus do not believe that. You believe in a caste system. Right. Like there are untouchables all the way up to the Brahma class. Right, like the like, Dalit or whatever. Yeah, right, and, yeah. and he was like, well, I guess you're right. And I was like, so, I mean, even if you're an enlightened Hindu, you know, I was using his terms. Like, right. you know, he's like, well, I'm an enlightened Hindu and we don't really believe in the caste system anymore. I'm like, okay, fair enough. But embedded in your religion is this idea of caste, is this idea that, you know, of reincarnation, you come back at a higher level of, of being, hopefully, next time. And that's based upon how good you are in mm-hmm. this life. I said, that that's like fundamental to the system right and he was like yeah i said or atheism like uh, i I don't know what's fundamental to that system because i mean what you just you're just going to do what you want and achieve whatever level of goodness you can and then you're just worm food on some level like like there's nothing eternal about any of that and he's like well i don't know that i you know so it's just a really interesting conversation to try and ask him like what, what fundamentally undergirds how he believes and how he understands goodness and these kinds of things, because then that really then, again, we're pressing the theodicy question. Sure. How does God fit into that conception? Why do you call some things bad? Why do you call some things good? Again, if you're an atheist, how do you even have these categories of goodness and badness? To begin with. To begin with, because it's all random. It's all random. Yeah. You know, on some level, or even if you don't believe it's random, even if you believe that that evolution is not a necessarily like truly randomized process, like you know, I've heard that argument before, yeah. sort of a nuanced version of evolution. That's fine, sure. But at some level, there's not more. There's not a moral. There aren't moral categories embedded within that system, except that which your particular culture 
might create for itself. Sure. And then again, who's to say your culture is better than this culture over here? Maybe you're, maybe it's not. Right. You know, or maybe goodness is in the eye of the beholder. But how is that even helpful, right? Yeah, so you, you just run down all these rabbit trails and you're asking yourself the question, okay, so then pulling back, of all of the options in view as to how we understand why there is evil in this world, what God is doing about the evil in the world, the goodness of God in relationship to this evil, which of those options do you find to be the most compelling? Well, for me, again, the Christian, this Christian idea, and it's only Christian. I mean, that's the amazing thing about it. It is only Christian Christian. that God would actually become flesh and blood and come to be with us in our suffering. That, to me, is the most amazing thing in the world. And that God promises to take our suffering, even the most horrific suffering, and use it for the good, ultimate good, ultimate good now, of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. That's that's exactly where I was going to go, is is anybody who's submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ would honestly say they still experience bad. Of course. Would still say they don't... It's impossible to avoid it because of this fallen world. And so you talk to the person who's who's perhaps had a miscarriage or a person who's going through it, and in those moments I think we, we walk with them and we empathize. And when they get around to the question... To talk about a God who says, who, who weeps with us mm-hmm. and says, I'll be there with you. I mean, the idea of Emmanuel being God with us right, right. Is, is comforting at one level. We go, oh, okay, so you're telling me there's a faith system where the God of the universe manifested himself as a human being to live this life so that he can say, I know what, you're, what you mm-hmm. feel in this moment. But then goes a step beyond that. Right. I mean, it doesn't just stop there. That's right. It goes a step right. beyond that. Most, well, because if it stopped Christians there, if it stopped there, then God wouldn't be all powerful. It's comfort like, food. Okay, yeah, on it's, some level, yeah, right. Okay, okay who cares? Right. Yeah. But what are you going to do about it? And instead, He takes this thing and molds and shapes it into something that is like, like you said, for our ultimate good. Though we won't hear it at the time, it's usually mm-hmm. something we have to reflect on later. Right. But also for His glory. So that that thing that was evil and bad, that Satan intended for harm and to get us to doubt and and rail against, you know, an entity that we don't understand and to distance us from him. God then says, no, actually, I'm going to, you know, watch the master sculptor at work. I'm going to reshape this thing Mm -hmm. so that this will become so ingrained with, with your story that when you tell others about it, they're going to be compelled to want to know me as well. Right, and that kind of brings us back full circle to where we began, right? This idea of, is God all good, and is he all powerful, and how evil calls those things into question. And for the Christian answer to that is no, because God is all good, and because God is all powerful, he takes even the evil of our lives, Mm -hmm. even the evil of our existence, the things that we experience that are bad, 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 terrible things, and he... He takes that onto the potter's wheel and he, he incorporates it and shapes it into our existence in some way, shape, or form that becomes part of the overall shape that he is actually molding us into, which is ultimately for glory, mm-hmm. ultimately for glory. And so that's the walk of faith. That's the walk of trust to say, yeah, even this, God is sort of making a unique part of now who I am and what I am. And oh, by the way, that's exactly what happened with his son, Jesus Christ. Right. He carries the wounds on his hands and his feet 
into all eternity. Why? Because that's a part of his particular glory now, this crucifixion. Mm -hmm. God doesn't cover those things up. He is not ashamed of those scars. He carries them and bears them into all eternity. And he is the first fruits, the Bible says, of the resurrection. He's the model, the, the sort of, you know, the, 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 the first of everything else that's to come. He's right. the one that Colossians. shows us, right? He's the mold, yeah. um, you know, and so, and so we're all going to be molded and shaped in that same way, and that is God's promise. Well, thanks again, Robbie, for our, for our time today, and thanks as always to Jake and Billy, our guys behind the glass, making us sound so good or trying to, their best to make us sound good. Please keep listening as we dive deeper into what it means to follow Jesus. We'd love to have your comments, and we'd love to hear your reviews on whatever platform you choose to listen to our podcast. Subscribe and stay tuned as we release more episodes in the weeks ahead. We'll talk to you next time.